Hi, my name's Andrew Chamberlain and I'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to episode 6 of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. In the first episodes of my podcast, I've been looking at the techniques we can use to help show rather than just tell the reader what's going on in our writing. And in this episode, I want to focus on the last of the five techniques that I mentioned. And just to recap, those five techniques were 1. Sprinkle your work with dialogue. Two, use the senses. So what are your characters seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching? Three, imply, hint and suggest at things. Four, use detail. So be sparse, but be specific. And five, include some humour. And in this episode, I'm going to deal with the last of those, including humour. And I confess that I've left this to last partly because I think it's the most difficult of all the techniques I've talked about. But before we get to this, I'd like to mention that on April the 12th, I will be speaking at the Writers World Conference, organised by Writers Essentials, who are a team of freelance and commissioning editors. And that will be in Cambridge, England. We'll be exploring the craft of writing, how to get the editor to say yes, and publishing and marketing your own ebook. I think it's going to be a great day, and if you'd like to come along, please do check their website out. That's www.writersessentials.com, or you can email them at writersessentials at gmail.com. Also, if you want to get involved in the debate about this podcast, there are two ways to do that. First, you can go to Goodreads, www.goodreads.com, look up the Creative Writers Tool Belt, please leave any comments or suggestions there. The second way is via Twitter. The podcast now has a Twitter account and that's at Writers Toolbelt. So please do follow us there. So let's get to humour in writing. Well, first of all, if you think humour is easy, then you're in for a bit of a shock because across any of the art forms, humour is, I think, the most difficult discipline. And especially so in writing. And here's why. First, it's difficult to be visually funny on a page. Visual comedy from something that actually looks funny to an interaction, say, between a straight person and a funny person, all of that is very difficult to present on the page simply because, of course, the reader can't see it. They have to imagine it. Secondly, so much of comedy is about getting timing absolutely right. And comic timing is more difficult to do on the page because you're relying on the speed and timing of the reader as they read the words rather than presenting something to them. So those two particular challenges are added to the more general challenge that everybody has with making something funny, which is of course the fact that what is funny for one person might be boring or offensive or irrelevant to somebody else. And humour as well, I think, is very much about precision and integrity. And I'll be expanding on those themes as we progress. So what can you do? Well, here are some strategies for humour in your work. They're not completely discrete from each other and you can use them in combination and sometimes they will overlap. First of all, be sparse or bizarre and specific. So exaggerate what you want to present, but exaggerate it in a way which is very straight and make sure it's still credible. So let's unpack that a bit. Generalizations can be funny, but being specific and exaggerating a bit in the way that you're specific can be funnier. For example, a story about squirrels would be funnier 
if it was about nine beady-eyed squirrels that rove around searching for a very rare and precious kind of hazelnut. A story about old ladies on motorbikes might be funny, but it might be even funnier if they're all on Harley Davidson's, and it might be funnier still if they're all grannies on Harley Davidson's touring the country doing flash mob jam making wherever they stopped. You can use this technique of exaggeration and being specific to enhance both character and scene. And I'm turning once again to the wonderful Pride and Prejudice for my next example. This is from the classic proposal scene where Mr. Collins, a pompous, ridiculous clergyman who is enthralled by the local aristocracy in the form of Lady Catherine de Burgh, decides that he is going to propose to a bemused and unimpressed Miss Lizzie Bennet. Here's the passage. My reasons for marrying, said Mr. Collins, are, first, that I think it a right thing for every clergyman in easy circumstances like myself to set the example of matrimony in his parish. Secondly, that I am convinced it will add very greatly to my happiness. And thirdly, which perhaps I ought to have mentioned earlier, that it is the particular advice and recommendation of the very noble lady whom I have the honour of calling patroness. Twice has she condescended to give me her opinion, unasked too, on the subject, and it was but the very Saturday night before I left Hunsford, between our pools at Quadrille, while Mrs. Jenkinson was arranging Mr. Burr's footstool, that she said, Mr. Collins, you must marry. A clergyman like you must marry. Choose properly. Choose a gentlewoman for my sake and for your own. Let her be an active, useful sort of person, not brought up high, but able to make a small income go a good way. This is my advice. Find such a woman as soon as you can. Bring her to Hunsford, and I will visit her. Allow me, by the way, to observe, my fair cousin, that I do not reckon the notice and kindness of Lady Catherine Tibur as among the least of the advantages in my power to offer. You will find her manners beyond anything I can describe, and your wit and vivacity I think must be acceptable to her, especially when tempered with the silence and respect which her rank will inevitably excite. And so he goes on, saying nothing of love or his true feelings for Lizzie. And this example shows us how important it is for the subjects of humour to take themselves seriously. Mr. Collins certainly does, and so in a way do the grannies. Another strategy you can try is to make yourself the joke of what you're writing. There's only one way to make fun of something without offending anyone else, and that is to make fun of yourself. Your readers will welcome the invitation to laugh with you. But be careful with this though. If it's a peripheral detail, then it won't feel like you've slipped into abusing yourself. But if you share a personal or intimate detail and laugh at it, it might make people feel uncomfortable, especially if it involves other people. So, for example, I could make fun of my dress sense, my extensive stick insect collection, my passion for unusual teas. But I would recommend that you don't try to generate humour with something intimate or personal that involves your partner or a family member, or a condition that some might be struggling with. For example, anorexia or self-harm or an issue like that. Personally, I think these things are very hard to do humorously and your reader might conclude that you're being insensitive or treating the subject inappropriately. Now, my next two suggestions are these. First, that you use a comic word or phrase. This is a little word or a very short phrase that can add wit and levity to your writing. It should complement the scene. And the second is comic indignation, in which a character is very indignant about something and seems quite funny in the process. There's something very amusing about watching a character being indignant about some issue 
Although to be funny, it has to be about a subject that, whilst you can understand their indignation, it's not in itself a subject which is so serious that we can't laugh about it. And we can see both of these techniques used in the next example. It's a passage from The Wind in the Willows, where Toad and his friends Ratty and Mole are out in the country with their horse-drawn caravan, when a motor car, which is new for the era, rushes by, sending their cart into the ditch, but captivating Mr. Toad. It's quite a lengthy passage, but I'd encourage you to listen out for the comedy in the indignation of the characters and the way in which the author uses a little phrase to emphasise and make fun of the way in which Toad is completely taken by the idea of a car. They were strolling along the high road easily, the mole by the horse's head, talking to him, since the horse had complained that he was being frightfully left out of it, and nobody considered him in the least. The toad and the water rat walking behind the cart, talking together. At least Toad was talking, and Rat was saying at intervals, Yes, precisely. And what did you say to him? And thinking all the time of something very different. When far behind them, they heard a faint warning hum, like the drone of a distant bee. Glancing back, they saw a small cloud of dust, with a dark centre of energy, advancing on them at incredible speed, whilst from out of the dust a faint boop-boop wailed like an uneasy animal in pain. Hardly regarding it, they turned to resume their conversation, when, in an instant, as it seemed, the peaceful scene was changed, and with a blast of wind and a whirl of sound that made them jump for the nearest ditch, it was on them. The poop-poop rang out with a brazen shout in their ears. They had a moment's glimpse of an interior of glittering plate glass and rich Morocco, and the magnificent motor-car, immense breath-snatching, passionate, with its pilot tense and hugging his wheel, possessed all earth and air for the fraction of a second, flung an enveloping cloud of dust that blinded and enwrapped them utterly, and then dwindled to a speck in the far distance, changed back into a droning bee once more. The old grey horse, dreaming as he plodded along of his quiet paddock, in a new raw situation such as this, simply abandoned himself to his natural emotions, rearing, plunging, backing steadily in spite of all Mole's efforts at his head, and all the Mole's lively language directed at his better feelings. He drove the cart backwards towards the deep ditch at the side of the road. It wavered an instant, then there was a heart-rending crash, and the canary-coloured cart, their pride and their joy, lay on its side in the ditch, an irredeemable wreck. The rat danced up and down in the road, simply transported with passion. You villains, he shouted, shaking both fists. You scoundrels, you highwaymen, you you road hogs. I'll have the law of you. I'll report you. I'll take you through the courts. Toad sat straight down in the middle of the dusty road, his legs stretched out before him, and stared fixedly in the direction of the disappearing motor car. He breathed short, his face wore a placid, satisfied expression, and at intervals he faintly murmured, Poop-poop! The mole was busy trying to quiet the horse, which he succeeded in doing after a time. Then he went to look at the cart on its side in the ditch. It was indeed a sorry sight. Panels and windows smashed, axles hopelessly bent, one wheel off, sardine tins scattered over the wide world, and the bird in the birdcage sobbing pitifully and calling to be let out. The rat came to help him, but their united efforts were not sufficient to right the cart, Hi, Toad, they cried. Come and bear a hand, can't you? The Toad never answered a word, or budged from his seat in the road, so they went to see what was the matter with him. They found him in a sort of trance, a happy smile on his face, his eyes still fixed on the dusty wake of their destroyer. At intervals he was still heard to murmur, Poop, poop, 
The rat shook him by the shoulder. Are you coming to help us, Toad? he demanded sternly. Glorious, stirring sight, murmured Toad, never offering to move. The poetry of motion, the real way to travel, the only way to travel, here today, in the next week tomorrow. Villages skipped, towns and cities jumped, always somebody else's horizon. Oh, bliss! Oh, poop, poop! Oh, my! Oh, my! Oh, stop being such an ass, Toad, cried Mole despairingly. Do you see how the author, Kenneth Graham, uses the little phrase, poop, poop, both to comic effect and to show us Toad is enraptured by this car? Also, it's quite amusing to see the rat getting angry and indignant, first with the car driver and then with his hopeless friend Toad. The next strategy I want to recommend is rather more simple, and it just involves a single word. You could call this using a thesaurus. A single word can be really, really funny. It may be the way it sounds, it may be the way it's spelt, it may be even how you use it, but you'll know immediately when you get one of these which is why your thesaurus is essential. So, for example, the word destroy is routine, but pulverize is funny. Greeny yellow is a clumsy phrase, but chartreuse is quite witty. Surprise is ordinary, but flabbergasted is quite unusual. And these single words usually survive a more general piece of advice for humorous writing, which is to edit and edit again. Keep it really tight. Baggy writing is not funny. The truth is that funny is incredibly hard to do. Your first draft will have some good stuff in it, but you'll have to edit it and keep editing it to make it as tight as possible. My next recommendation is very similar to the indignant character, and this is the rant. And it's very funny if used carefully. It has to be a rant about something that is just believable. And the reader should be in on the joke from a start. You can heighten the effect by having another character involved with whom the reader can sympathise and who might react in the way that we as the readers might react. So take this example which I've created for the podcast. The scene is a park with a duck pond. Maureen has the misfortune of sitting on a park bench when old Mr. Hissingberger comes and sits down next to her. The minutes pass. Maureen is reading her book. Mr. Hissingberger stares out at the pond in front of them. Eventually, he starts to mutter. It's a disgrace, so it is, said Mr. Hissingberger, gripping the top of his walking stick and nodding in the direction of the pond. What's that? said Maureen, who happened to be sitting on the same bench as him. What's that? What's that? That's a disgrace. That's what that is. Maureen followed the old man's gaze out onto the pond, where half a dozen ducks bobbed idly on the water. In my day, said Mr. Hissingberger, a duck knew what was good for him, so he did. He knew when someone came and sat on this bench, that meant they had some bread. He raised his bony hand, in which he was clutching a small plastic bag containing crusts of bread. Now look at them. They sit there, bobbing about. Not one of them has the sense to come over here and get some bread. Maybe someone's fed them already, said Maureen, pushing her own plastic bag into her coat pocket. Already fed them, spluttered Mr. Hissingberger. This is the wild, this is. They, he pointed at the ducks, have to survive on their wits. If I was a duck, I'd say to myself, Hissingberger, old man, where do you think your next meal is coming from? Huh? You don't know, do you? No. So don't turn your nose up, well, beak up, at that nice old gent's bread. Go and get some. Who knows where your next meal is coming from? That's what I'd say to myself. Maureen was about to make her excuses and go when Mr. Hissingberger turned and stared at her. You see that duck there? He pointed at the nearest of them. He's too content, he is. Can you see it in his eyes? Can you? He's heading for a fall, he is. 
being content out in the wild like that. And I know why. Oh, yes, I know what's happened to him. Well, it was nice meeting you, said Maureen, standing and brushing the breadcrumbs from her coat. Oh, yes, said Mr. Hissingberger. I know his game. You see, young lady, it isn't as you suppose, the fact that someone has fed them already. No, you look at that fellow there. Maureen picked up her bag and glanced at the ducks. No, said Mr. Hissingberger. You see that fellow there? He's on the hunt. It's the season, you see. That's what's put them off their food. It's passion. Oh, yes. That's the only thing that will override a man's stomach. Maureen stepped away from the bench. Why don't you think I'm right, said Mr. Hissingberger. It's an interesting theory, said Maureen. But since all these ducks are female, I'm not sure it's true. Goodbye. And with that, she walked off. I hope you could see in that passage that while we could laugh at Mr. Hissingberger's indignation, the humour in the passage was actually accentuated by the fact that Maureen was there as well. And we could see what Mr. Hissingberger didn't notice, which was that, of course, she had just fed the ducks. And finally, we come to the witty quip, which, if edited well and timed correctly in your writing, works splendidly. There is a famous, if apocryphal, retort given by... Winston Churchill to Lady Astor, which is a prime example of that. And it came when she, Lady Astor, had accused him, Winston Churchill, of drinking too much. Lady Astor to Winston Churchill. Mr. Churchill, you're drunk. Winston Churchill to Lady Astor. Yes, and you, madam, are ugly, but in the morning I will be sober. What a put down wicked and funny but these are hard to dream up and harder to execute well especially on the page and one of the really important things to bear in mind with writing humor is that you have to maintain the integrity of both the scene and the characters your reader has to believe that a character would react in a certain way would say what they say and do what they do you need to ask yourself the question are the characters real enough and are they behaving in a believable way? It doesn't have to be a normal way. They can be eccentric, they can be bizarre, but is it believable? In their book, How Not to Write a Novel, Sandra Newman and Howard Mittelmark give readers some advice on what to avoid when writing humorously. First, don't have your characters laugh at a joke. That won't encourage the reader to find whatever you've written funny and it could alienate them. Second, don't try to persuade yourself when you read something that it's funny when all you've done is perform it. Remember, you might think of something that's very humorous, but it has to work on the page. Don't make fun of disability or use any kind of bullying playground humor. That's usually tasteless and can alienate your reader. And if you do tell a joke, remember it just has to stand on its own two feet with the reader. And of course, people have to know what you're talking about. And as an example of this, I'd like to just tell you the joke that won the Edinburgh Fringe Funniest Gag Award in 2013. Here it is. I heard a rumour that Cadbury's is bringing out an oriental chocolate bar. Could be a Chinese whisper. Now I expect some of you will find that funny and some of you might be confused by it. And for this joke to be funny, which it is in the right context, you need to know that Cadbury's is a chocolate bar maker. You also need to know that they make a whisper bar. That's one of the products that they make. And you also need to know what a Chinese whisper is. If you don't know all of those three things, you won't find the joke funny. And again, from one of my earlier examples, chartreuse is a very stylish word and it describes a, a yellowy green colour. But if your reader doesn't know that, they're not going to know what you're on about. So to summarise, techniques for being humorous in your writing. Exaggerate and be specific. 
make sure your, your funny characters take themselves seriously. They don't have to be normal, they don't have to behave normally, but the reader has to believe that they could behave in the way they do. If you want to laugh safely at things, laugh at yourself, use a witty remark where appropriate, and try to identify words that are naturally funny. Having one of your characters go off on a rant or being indignant at something is always good fun. And if you tell a joke, it has to work on the printed page. It has to be about things which you think your reader is going to understand. And my advice would be to avoid things which are very intimate or tasteless or offensive. I hope that has been helpful to you. Today I have been drawing on the following resources. The article The Secret of Writing Funny by Annie Binns, which appears on the Write to Done website run by Mary Jack, and that's at www.writetodone.com. The book How Not to Write a Novel by Sandra Newman and Howard Mittelmark, published by Penguin Books. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which is in the public domain, but is also published by Penguin Books. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, published by Usborne Publishing. And The Whisper Joke comes from Rob Orson, stand-up comic winner of the Dave's Funniest Joke of the Fringe Award 2013. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you want to comment, you can go to Goodreads. That's www.goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt group. Leave any comments or suggestions there. The podcast also has a Twitter account, which you can follow, which is at Writers Toolbelt. Many thanks to the guys from Podcast Themes for providing the music. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.